Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. For those of you that have been coming for a while to New Freedom, and those of you that know me, you know that I'm incredibly passionate about the exposition of God's Word, that I, I, I take such a honor and privilege to be able to exposit and to teach from God's Word. So much so that it's my heart and my desire that whenever we come together, that God's Word be central, God's Word be the focus. And back around December of last year, God began to work on me for a message. It's a message about a blessing from the Bible. And I thought maybe in January I would have a chance to, to give that message, and I didn't. And I thought maybe, well, it, it'll come in the beginning of February. I scheduled it, and it didn't happen. And so I was out of town last week, and I said, this will be the, the perfect week when I come back. I've pretty much got the, the final touches on that, and so that, that will be the message. And this morning, about 9.30, maybe 8.30, plan A was set aside, and... <laughs> I began to write plan B and I got with the team and I said, we're just gonna take a little bit different direction today. I feel God has something different for us today. So this is a little bit different. I'm incredibly thankful to God for all of the many ways in which as a local church, we have been able to every single year add an element of worship, add an element of outreach, add something to either our facility or our platform or our technology so that we can reach more people, we can, we can reach out further and faster and we can have a bigger impact. I'm incredibly thankful for all of that. And only those of you that, that maybe work in a volunteer capacity or, or work with the team, you, you understand the complexities that go into making all of these little pieces come together week by week. I'm incredibly thankful for that. But one of the things that just really stood out to me this past week, the, these words came to me, is beautiful simplicity. Say that with me, beautiful simplicity. Pastor Rick and I, as we were doing these children's meetings, we had nine services in five days. And half of those were children's services. We, we did a little skit for kids and uh, we saw uh, just, just amazing fruit come from that. But one of the things that just really stood out to me was how simple and how basic that their lives are, yet how joyful and how fulfilled that they are. And it just, it struck me that Many times with so many blessings, with so much extra, with all that we have, we really are never satisfied and we just want more. Maybe that's just the American way, I don't know. But this, these words, beautiful simplicity, continue to, to ring in my mind. So you, you can be seated. I just wanna share a couple things with you that I believe the Lord would have for our congregation in this moment, in this hour. And, and if you're praying, you wanna continue praying, that's fine, you're not gonna bother me. If halfway through the message you decide you want to get up and you want to come down and pray, that's fine too. 
because my heart and my desire is that we would be beautifully simple in our approach to God. That we would not clutter our worship with so many uh, protocols and prerequisites, that we would come before God in the simplicity of our hearts, that we would lay our lives bare, and we would approach him as a loving father, a father who wants to spend time with us. There is a lot of uh, commentary right now in our day about revival, about how people are approaching maybe a worship service or a time of convocation, a time of prayer. And it's a beautiful and yet a simple thing to watch what has broken out at Asbury, at Cedarville, at the university. Uh, so many student-led uh, seeking and pursuit of God. And it got me thinking and it got me really stirred up to, to inquire of the Lord, what are you doing in the land today? What is going on? How, how should we approach our relationship with you in this, this word we call revival, but I don't even want to just call it revival. I want to call it a move of God. We were in the ocean last week and, and we were uh, paddling out a little bit and you could look off into the, the distance and you could see that there was a ripple coming and it didn't look too big until it finally got really near to you and this wave would come and it would just lift you up and it would pass you right by. And the thought occurred to me, where did that wave come from? Where, where, did, where did that, I don't see any boats out there. there, there's nothing out there. What created that wave to just come and crash on the shore and then there's another one behind it, but right now waters seem to be pretty calm. And the answer is that the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of the seas, caused that wave to start. Way back before I could even see it, God caused that wave. And that's what it is like having a move of God in our land, is that we cannot create a move of God no more as we could create a wave. But what we can do is we can get on it and we can ride that wave and let it take us to the shore. And so if you will, for the next few moments, if you'll go with me both biblically and experientially in our day, if you go with us together to get on the wave of the move, the modern move that God is doing in our land. And there are some instructions, I think, for us. I think that there are some, some wisdoms by which we approach things. But, but I want us to look at God's word and I want us to see what God says about a move and some things that can be maybe uh, beneficial, uh, building up. It can, it can edify us as we approach what God is doing in our land right now. There is a biblical precedent in the New Testament for a move of God. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, somebody say fully come. You know, they had been waiting for a while. They had been praying for a while. They had been tarrying in the upper room. There were 120 of them that made it to that upper room, but there was not 120 of them that were invited. Someone's crunching a, a bottle or something. If you could just please stop that, please. Thank you. There was 120 of them that were in that upper room, but more than 500 were invited. A lot more were included in and invited into the move that God was doing, but only 
A small segment chose to get on and ride that wave. Would it be that maybe you and I are part of the people who are hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and we are willing to take a ride on the wave of God right now in our day, in our era, to say, God, I know that many more people were invited. God, I know that you said, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I know that you have cast a wide net, but not everybody has accepted, but we will be the ones who will go. And when that day fully comes, we will be ready to experience what you have for us. When that day was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is unity. When you see something of a unifying effect in the house of God amongst the people of God, be careful, watch out, look out. Something dramatic is about to happen. When we get on the same page, when we all get along on the same page, talking the same thing, speaking the same thing, this is the very reason why God came down and confused the language when they were building the Tower of Babel. If you remember the story in Genesis, it says that they were building a tower, they wanted to get up to heaven, they wanted to be like the Almighty. And it said in the scripture that if God had not confused their language because they were all of one language, of one mind, of one purpose, nothing would have been impossible for them. In other words, they could have built a tower to heaven. And so God had to come down and confuse the language. Well, we see what happened in Babel as a confusing of the language and then what happens here at this day on Pentecost as a reunification of that event. Let's read it. Let's read it some more. It says in verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Everyone experienced the experiential, the powerful presence of God. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many were filled with the Holy Spirit? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not, hear me, is not speaking in tongues. The gift is the Holy Spirit. There are manifestations, there are fruits of what the infilling means, but the gift was that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a multitude came and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not these who are Galileans who are speaking to us? What began at Babel, God confusing the language, came to full circle at the giving of the gift of God's precious Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God came in that upper room when they were unified, when they were all together, when they were seeking, when they were praying, when they were beautifully simple in their approach to God. Then God came and miraculously, through the tongues which they were speaking, languages they had never learned, they began speaking, glorifying God in other languages, and the people around them were amazed, they were perplexed, they were confused. What is this? How do we hear in our own language them speaking the glories of God, giving glory to God? It is restoring what happened at Babel. The confusing of the language now has been unified and God got the glory. As we look at this move that's happening in our land, and, and we, we uh, kind of approach it with, with a healthy sense of what is this, I think it's okay not to just jump on every wind of doctrine. I think it's okay to analyze and to maybe speak amongst ourselves and try to understand what is happening. But what we must realize is that there was such a unity in the area of Asbury before that the, uh, the revival started, 
that it's reported there were students who had been praying for four and five years that revival would hit our land. One student testifies that he graduated last year from Asbury, Asbury uh, Theological Seminary, but felt compelled to stay in the little town where that college is located, and there's, there's only like five or 6,000 residents of that town. He felt compelled to stay there, even though his degree could have taken him somewhere else, because he felt like God wanted him to stay there, and he began to drive every single day around that small town and pray for a move of God. The, the students began to pray for a move of God. It is testified that the chapel service that has gone on into weeks now, and they've, they've continued to pray around the clock. I heard recently that they have just taken it to like 25 and under in the building because it was a student-led and student-organized uh, type of a, a gathering to begin with. And people have come from all around the world to, to just get a taste and to experience what God is doing. But I've heard that they've taken it from to 25 and under, but... Uh, the, the chapel service that started all of this, that a student just lingered and, and prayed and stayed, uh, they interviewed the chapel speaker. You know, in, in colleges, you know, they'll have speakers for different things, especially in seminaries, Bible college, they'll have different uh, speakers for chapel services. Some have three chapels a week, two chapels a week, five chapels a week. So they need a lot of speakers. And so the speaker who was requested to come that day is not a well-known name, he's not a big-time evangelist, doesn't uh, have some big national following, and he actually testified to say that when he got done with his message that day, he texted his wife and he said, that was the biggest bomb of a message I had ever preached. I don't think anybody heard it, I don't think anybody's gonna respond, I don't think it got off the ground. So in and of himself, he felt totally inadequate. And I will testify to you that the times when I have really polished a message and I put it together and I come ready to, to just preach this hot and fiery word of God, I'll get about three or four usual suspects. I appreciate the usual suspects that'll pat me on the back and say, good job, pastor. And I know that they're lying in a good way because they're trying to encourage me <laughs> because it didn't quite hit the way I thought it would hit. And then there's been other times where I've walked away thinking nobody got anything from that. There were blank stares. I don't think anybody responded to the altar call. I, I just feel like it didn't hit. My message, my, my, my points didn't connect. Those are the times where people will come up and say, good job, pastor. And those same usual suspects, I'll kind of do, okay, yeah, you just love me. You just pat me on the back. But then there'll be four or five times more than that throughout the week that'll say, boy, when you were talking about this, it really touched my heart. When you were speaking about that, it really touched my heart. And I have to go back on my notes and I'll say, that message wasn't even about forgiveness. How did they get that from it? Because God's spirit will speak up with our spirit. He will confirm to us things we need to know when we need to know them, whether the speaker is obedient to say it or not, or whether he's doing it right, or whether he's put it in the right context. God will get through to you if you have a seeking heart. God will speak to you. God will deal with you. God will move in you. And see, God is not the author of confusion. We know that according to the word of God, but people can be confused when they're expecting something that is ordinary, yet God works outside of their box. It says in Acts chapter two that the people were confused. God didn't sow confusion, but the people were confused. You know, I see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of, of different political sides being taken or, or uh, critiques that are happening about Asbury right now or about this, this move. And, and some have said, well, you know, it's, it's student-led. We've got to be careful. They don't, they don't have the Bible degrees. Maybe we need to call the, the hierarchy of the denominational leaders and see if they can approve of this. I don't know if they're really qualified to be able to start this move of God. I mean, after all, who gave them the right? 
Who gave these 120 the right to be endued with power from on high? Jesus invited more than that. Jesus probably invited Pharisees and Sadducees and high rulers of the temple place. See, they, the, the call was wide and broad, but the 120 went. And I, I love what Drew said a few minutes ago is that God is not limited by your thoughts. God is not limited. God will qualify you as he sees fit and needs to. And so people were confused at the day of Pentecost, just like people are confused today, scratching their head. Why is God moving in Kentucky in a town of 6,000 people? There's more than 15,000 people that are coming day after day to this event, to this, this move of God. So much so that the fire marshal of the town had to reach out to the, the school and say, listen, I don't want to shut this down, but you cannot have 5,000 people packing a room that's supposed to uh, be 1,800 capacity. There, there are fire regulations against that. I could shut you down, but I don't want to. Let's work with you on this. So they've opened up a cafeteria in another chapel. <clears throat> they have people meeting out on the lawns. They've opened up other churches in the community and people are going and people are meeting. Now I've also heard the, the criticism about this, which is, well, why do people need to go down to Asbury? They can just have revival where they're at. And technically that is correct. But let me ask you this. Why does anybody ever book a trip, pay thousands of dollars, hassle with TSA, get on a plane just to go touch your feet in salt water at an ocean somewhere when you could just pour you some tap water at your house, you could put a little salt in there, you could, I've had some salt water. No, there is something about the experience being in a place where you know something is different. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to change your Geography, there's nothing wrong with wanting to, to get close to the spout where the glory comes out, right? But here's what you need to see. The Bible precedent to a move of God has a couple of things. There was confusion by the people. God didn't author that, but they were confused because they had a certain rhythm by which it should have worked, but it didn't work. They were amazed and they were marveling. The people stood in awe and they were in awe because of the, the, the outcome. They were amazed that people could speak with these tongues and they could hear them in their own language. They were amazed, listen to this, that God actually answered a prayer they had been praying for generations. You know, we, we fall into this as, as well. We get so shocked when we prayed for something, God shows up, but it's not in the clothing that we had anticipated to show up in. A little bit later in the book of Acts, Peter, he gets thrown into prison. Peter was the same one that preached on the day of Pentecost. Thousands came and, and gave their, their heart to the Lord and, and the church was being developed in, in the book of Acts. And so Peter uh, would go and he would preach in these public squares and they didn't like him preaching the name of Jesus because he was siphoning off converts from the Jewish religion. And he was, these, these people were saying, I'm not gonna reject my Judaism, but I now also wanna follow this Messiah Jesus. I wanna follow this Jewish carpenter because I wanna now give my life to Jesus. And so Peter, he caught the air, he caught the, the ire, he caught the attention of the local officials, and they threw him in prison for preaching the gospel. While Peter was in prison, get this, you can read this in the book of Acts. While Peter was in prison, there was a church meeting happening down at Rhoda's house. Now, if your name's Rhoda, don't get under condemnation, but that's, it was Rhoda's house. So they're praying for Peter while he's in prison. They're having an all-night prayer meeting, praying that God would deliver Peter, praying that God would somehow set free their leader because they needed Peter to blaze this trail. They're praying fervently for Peter. Lo and behold, an angel of the Lord comes and springs Peter out of prison. Peter's set free. He's taken to the gate. The, the locks fall off. He's free. Where does he go? He goes to the prayer meeting. Peter goes to the prayer meeting. 
He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes up to the door. They're praying for Peter to get set free. In amazement, she shuts the door and runs back. They're like, who's at the door? She's like, you'll never believe it. I don't think I believe it. Let's just keep praying that Peter gets set free. Peter was at the door. We pray, God, give us revival. God, give us a move in the land. God starts with our young people. We say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I wasn't the one that signed off on that. My denominational leaders didn't tell me that it could happen in Kentucky. I mean, there are more astute places. There's better places than Bethlehem and a manger, but that's where God decided to come down, where heaven could meet earth. You see, we get too smart for our own good. We get too sophisticated. We get too polished. And I fear, and I've looked at this for a while, that church has gotten too slick. It's gotten too glimmery. It's gotten too polished. We have gotten this thing so well-crafted that we really don't even need God anymore. We can do it ourselves. And over the American church, I see the writing. It's begun. Ichabod, over the doors of our major mainline denominations, Ichabod, the glory has departed. For taking decisions to a congregational affiliation every two years and saying, well, should we go by the Bible or should we just go by the modern trends of today's society? After all, we don't want to offend anybody. After all, we want to be popular. We want to be liked. We don't want to lose our non-tax status. We don't want to lose our tax exemption. So maybe we should just be a little more inclusive. Maybe we should just uh, get up with the times. Maybe we shouldn't be so staunch with what the Bible says because after all, times are a-changing. And Ichabod is written over the door. Ichabod over the door of our hearts because the glory has departed because we know how to sing three fast songs in a slow one and then cut to the next thing and three points in a poem and a nice little study and then we can all go home and feel good that we've done something of religious duty. I don't know about you. I, I want to see his glory. Amen. I want to see signs and miracles and wonders. If it happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the book of Acts, why not now? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So why not? But here's what you need to see. <laughs> they left the room The glory of God came down. Every one of them, it says, they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they left the room. If revival is confined to a geographic location, then what revival becomes is nothing more than an idol, a temple, a sanctuary, a place. What is a sanctuary? It's a place where people run in and hide. They take shelter. They hunker down. They stay right there. They claim sanctuary. You can't touch me. I'm 
in the sanctuary. But that's not what they did. They left that upper room. They spilled out into the streets, into the highways and the byways. They were compelling people to come and to hear and to see what God has been doing. And to this day, I've been to and I've visited that upper room. It's nothing more today than a tourist attraction. Because the glory of God, which flung like a fire right in that place, was intended to set upon and light the hearts on fire so that each one may reach one, so that revival would spread, not by means of taking the upper room, cutting it out, putting it on a, a, a train and taking it to the next town. It's not that we pick up Asbury and bring it out. I'm good enough if I go to the beach and I go stick my feet in the ocean and I go get my feet in the water to leave there and to go back to my home and have a little bit of uh, enjoyment of my home and tell somebody about the story about my vacation. You don't need to stay in vacation land. You don't need to stay in a place where God once visited. You need to allow that same precious Holy Ghost to get on the inside so that you can go and take revival and flame revival in the hearts of people all around you so that your heart can be set ablaze with the glory of God. They didn't stay in the room. They got out of the room. They left the building. They left the place. We were in the Dominican Republic last week. We visited over 70 homes door to door. This is outside of the context of what I used to do. I mean, I've been through evangelism explosion. I've taught evangelism explosion. Many of you have been through the, 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 the teaching. You know what it's like to, to learn all the, the mechanics of how to witness your faith. It was very big in the 90s, early 2000s, evangelism explosion. Here's the problem with evangelism explosion in our culture is that I found a lot of people like to get the book work, but they didn't like to do the legwork. In other words, we could find ourselves in a classroom learning about how to witness our faith, but when it came down to doing the legwork, which is going door to door, knocking on doors, we realize American culture isn't set up for that anymore, is it? What's amazing is going to the Dominican Republic or going to one of these countries like this is that I told one of our, the team members, this is like America 75 years ago. When you would knock on the door, they would welcome you in. They'd give you a glass of ice water. They'd tell you to sit down. We had to take bottles of water with us because you can't drink the local water. But if you refuse them, when they offer you water, or they offer you something to drink, they offer you hospitality, that's not culturally correct to do that. And so they said, make sure you have water because if you already have some and they offer you some of that tainted, contaminated water, you can say, I have some, thank you very much. <laughs> I know the Bible says I shall drink no, any deadly thing that won't harm me, but I, I'm gonna walk in a little bit of wisdom as well right here. <laughs> I'm gonna drink my bottled water, okay. Don't need a parasite setting up. But there was a hospitality about every time we knocked on the door. I think we, we knocked on about 100 doors. We had two teams we split up. And I think two times we got told, no, we can't come in. Every person, almost like 98% of the people were so welcoming, so inviting. They would, they would bring you right in. The one, one just, it, it amazed me. We saw the, the mother and the daughter earlier at the, the kids meeting that we had. We did a little skit, a little baseball skit we did because baseball is really big in Dominican. And so we took him to first base, which is a, uh, admit that you're a sinner. Second base, which is believe the Bible. And, and the third base is confess your sins. And then we got to bring him home to home, home base, home plate, uh, which is Jesus invites you on to his team and you can come home uh, to Jesus today. And there's a great response. But we saw this one mom and daughter uh, earlier in, in the day and we were out, we were visiting. And as we go up to the door, there's a man sitting on the front porch and he's rocking and, and he doesn't say no, but he says, you know, wife's in, in, the, in the house. We knock on the door and the wife and the daughter comes out. And so we just simply ask people, is there anything you'd like us to pray for? And I remember there's like, 
there were 18 in our trip, and so there was probably in our group, maybe seven or eight in our group that was visiting. And with boldness and tenacity, the wife says, yeah, me and my daughter go to church. We want you to pray for my husband because he needs to know Jesus. <laughs> and he just hangs his head and kind of goes like this. He's like, yeah. I mean, can you imagine that happening in America today? But there's a beautiful simplicity about prayer. When God is all you have, you realize God is all you need. Amen. We gave these kids a little foam baseball at the end of every presentation. You should have seen the looks on their faces to get a little foam ball and a sucker as we were handing it to them on the way out. Beautiful simplicity, content with what they had. I'm not casting down on our culture. I love America. I love the, the blessings and the provision of this land. Many people have suffered and, and struggled and, and sacrificed to get us to the place that we are. Many of those countries in, in, in other parts of the world, they've had bad government and leaders who have been selfish and they've never invested back into the country and the people are, are the, the ones that have to suffer because of that. But there's a beautiful simplicity. We were on our way back to the church. Every, every home we'd go to, we'd leave them a little bag little care package. It had a, a comb and a toothbrush and some lotion and some soap. You know, these are, these are uh, luxuries in their country. And they were very thankful. We, re, we had run out of bags. So we were going to go back to the church, get ready for service that night. And down this little dirt path comes running this, this lady and she is waving us down. And we can all understand the language, but I got a hold of one of our interpreters and I said, what's that lady saying? And he's saying, she wants you to come, come now, come now, pray for her home, come now. And he said, but we're out of bags. I said, but can we go anyway? He said, sure, we can, we can go. I don't know what you're about to walk into. I mean, there's witch doctors. There's all kinds of, of, of uh, uh, things that are set up that, that are of their, of, of their belief and their culture. But she, she saw that we were going home to home and she wanted us to come to her house. We came down to her house and we see sitting in a chair, we walk in this door, we see sitting in this chair, a 25-year-old young lady who had one leg that was normal in size and her other leg was about three times the size swollen. And just that morning, we, this was about two in the afternoon, just that morning, she started to feel sick and, and her ankle started to swell. And I looked at her leg and she's sitting there, won't put any weight on it. And the, the mom tells the interpreter, we are making plans to take our daughter to the witch doctor this afternoon so that we can get some kind of relief for her leg. We can't make it to the capital city. We can't make it to the hospital. We're making plans to take her to the witch doctor. We saw that you were out praying in the community and we thought we would ask you to come and pray. When I knelt down in front of her, her eyes just about bugged out of her head to see a white American kneeling down in front of her. And then the next thing shocked her. Our team gathered around. Someone from the team said, there's a name greater than any name your witch doctor can call on and his name is Jesus. We're gonna pray for you right now. And I laid my hands very gently on her leg and the heat was radiating off of her ankle. It had splotches already, it looked like cellulitis or something was setting up. There was some infection in her body. It was radiating and we prayed for her. And then we ask her, how do you feel? She says, I'm still in pain, but I'm better. I feel a little bit better. 
I feel a little bit better. We stayed around that area a little bit longer. I feel a little bit better. I feel a little bit better. We were on our way out. The interpreter told us, uh, her mom said that they've decided they're going to cancel the appointment with the witch doctor. (laughs) They're just going to believe on the name of Jesus. There's such a holy hunger that we witnessed. And from the reports that I can read about what's happening in our land amongst college campuses, amongst churches, what's what's spilling over is that there's a holy hunger in people to experience the genuine. We've seen enough plastic surgery religion. We want that which is real. This generation wants that which is real. A charismatic friend of mine, a worship leader, went down to Asbury the week before we went on the trip and I was sharing with him uh, about what's happening down there. And he said, here's what's amazing about it. It's not like what you would expect because we were in the same kind of upbringing. Like we, we, we have this notion revival is loud and boisterous and it's exciting and, and lots of uh, uh, things that are happening, demonstrations. He said, it's very somber. It's very quiet. There's, there's maybe one person on an instrument and there's one singer and then they'll have another crew come in that'll lead. And it's, it's very, very basic songs. Sometimes out of the, the hymnals that they're, they're singing these songs, yet these are young people. And he said, I was a little bit confused because these are the same young people that'll go to a a rock concert and there's smoke machines and there's fog lights and there's lights and there's media and there's multimedia. And I said to my friend, I said, you know, why wouldn't God move in the land today in the beautifully simplistic means of just the calm? This is a generation who has been oversensitized with video games and with Hollywood and with movies, and with all kinds of entertainment, and with devices always looking at their face. Why wouldn't God move in a new and a fresh way like we've ever seen before? To this generation, that's brand new. We can do a song here in church that's 20 years old. We can kind of spice up one of the the hymn, hymn songs, and a young person will come up to Pastor Rick and say, hey, I like that brand new song you sang. And we smile, we say, that's pretty old, actually. And there's biblical precedent for that, too. Pastor Rick, if you'll come, I'm going to close on this. Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines. The Philistines were always the enemies of God. For the Philistines had stopped them up, had clogged them after the death of Abraham. He called them by their names which his father had called them. Dr. Lester Summerall said this, there is much to be gained by a return to the discarded values of the past. And while this revival, while this move of God may not look like in our mind's eye what we remember it being in days gone by, let us not do what they did in Acts. For what they did is they scoffed, they mocked, Read it. Read the rest of chapter 2. They scoffed. They mocked. They made fun of those spilling out in the streets. Are they not drunk? They've lost their minds. What are they doing out here? Let us not be scoffers. Let us not be mockers. In the Great Awakening of America in the mid-1700s, a man named George Whitfield, an Anglican, get this, an Anglican 
and founder of Methodism in America, along with his contemporary Jonathan Edwards, who is a Puritan, called a nation to repentance. This was the first great awakening. The second great awakening, the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, created a network of circuit riders who would ride on horses from town to town announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. They were Methodists, Episcopals, Presbyterians, and Baptists, all relatively new to America, early 1800s. The Third Great Awakening in the 1900s, we see the holiness movement of Nazarenes and Pentecostals resulting in such dramatic signs and wonders that at Azusa Street, William Seymour preaching from a stool, calling upon the people to seek God with a pure heart. The fire of God fell on that little room, a small little dusty room at the end of a street, long forgotten by anybody. But the fire of God fell to the place where they had to call the fire department because someone thought the place had caught on fire. And that was the third great, great awakening in America in the 1900s. In the 1960s, there is the charismatic renewal, which was birthed by, get this, charismatic Catholics who had a seeking and a longing to know what this word of God is instructing them to do. In the 1970s, we see from that charismatic renew, renewal, it moving over into a movement called the Jesus Movement. We know them as the Jesus freaks. They spilled out into the streets, hippies who were high on meth and high on LSD and, and had been tripping out. And they finally found the real thing. The synthetic could only go so far. Now they found the real thing and they started spilling out in the streets, preaching this name of Jesus. And we know that as the charismatic renewal. In 1995, on Father's Day, Assembly of God Church in Brownsville, a message was given, repentance was had, and we know that as the Brownsville Revival, for years there was a manifestation, a move of God's Spirit. In 1994, right around that same time, in Toronto, Canada, the Toronto Blessing, all of them were different. Not one of them the same. Yet Jesus' own disciples, when having watched Jesus spit in the dirt, rub it in a blind man's eye, got off to themselves, started talking about how Jesus had commissioned them to do the same works he's done and greater. And they come up against a blind man. You know what they do? Ah, let's use the method that Jesus used. Let's spit in the dirt. Let's make some mud and let's put it in his eye. You know what happened? He stayed blind. Because the power of God was not in a method that they had borrowed from their Messiah. The power of God is quickened by the Spirit of God. And so we cannot in our minds allow ourselves to box in the move of God based upon what we perceive it should look like or what it should sound like or what it should be like or who should start it or who should sanction it or who should approve it or who should be on the, the ruling board of it. Let God be God. I'll just leave you with Gamaliel's advice. In the book of Acts, a wise church leader named Gamaliel. He was Paul's teacher. The apostle Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned from this wise, seasoned man in the faith. 
when confronted with the question about this new Jesus movement of the early church, they posed this question to Gamaliel and they said, what do you think about these people who are preaching the name of Jesus? They're saying that, that people don't even have to be circumcised anymore to have the true faith of the God of Israel. And Gamaliel said, you know, all those debates are probably for another day and it's above my pay grade. But I'll tell you this, if this new Jesus movement is not of God, it's just gonna fizzle, it's just gonna fade. It will have no lasting results. But if this new Jesus movement is a thing of God, you can't stop it. So you better just get out of the way or you'll get run over by it. And that's the advice I think we should observe. If it's not of God, it's gonna fizzle anyway. But if it is of God, you can't stop it. Your cynicism, your criticism, the world's judgment, the scoffing, the mocking, can't stop it. And here's what I know about revival. Because it's happened in every American revival and everyone I've ever seen throughout the word of God. Go all the way back to Nineveh. God chooses the most unlikely. The ones that are dirty, the foul mouth, the sinner at heart, God chooses those who are far away, the reprobate, the unrighteous, the ugly, the dirty, the sinner, the prostitute. God chooses those that we would never choose to fulfill his purpose and his function. So we should be imbued with the spirit of God to say, come what may, come all ye, compelling them, come, come. We welcome you, come to the fountain. Come to the rivers of living water get a taste of this water because if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And nobody has to remind you about how you need to dress, what clothes you need to put on, where you need to stop going and who you should stop seeing because the spirit of God is big enough, is strong enough, is powerful enough to speak on the inside of their own hearts. Life change never starts from the outside. It's always a matter of the heart. God looks at the heart. You and I have never been called to clean fish. But if you've said yes to the call of Jesus, you've simply said yes to catching fish, to being a fisher of men and women, to cast the net broad, pull it up and say, Jesus, there's some in here you're gonna to have to work a whole lot on, but that's your work, not mine. And after all, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I know it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, Jupiter and earth. I know it took him a short time, but for me, he's loving and patient and he's still working on me. Is he still working on you? Then with everyone standing, let's all stand. Do you want a move of God? Do you want to see God move? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Jesus said it like this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Maybe today in Kentucky, maybe today 
in Cedarville, maybe today in Cleveland, Tennessee, the level of hunger has arisen to the point of no more artificial plastic Christianity, but they're wanting the genuine. Maybe today we're seeing a filling of the Father. For someone has hungered and thirst to the point of no going back, saying, I want more, God. I want more than dead religion, doubly dead, twice dead, plucked up by the roots religion. I want to be filled with you. Nothing else, just you. I'm gonna turn this over for a closing song. And if you'd like to come forward, just come. If you'd like to pray, then pray. In fact, here's what I'm gonna do. I just heard the Lord. I want our Thursday prayer group, I want you to come forward. I want those of you in this local body, come on, prayer group, come forward. They're trying. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Joy. God said, some of you have been praying for a move. Some of you have been praying for me. <laughs> I felt that in my spirit this morning. When I took my message that I wanted to preach and I set it aside for plan B, this, this is uncomfortable for Pastor Joe. I like things orderly, decent and in order. I got a wet blanket over there I can throw on anybody gets out of line. <laughs> this is uncomfortable for me to go off of the map. I had a good plan. Lord, I had a good plan this morning. What do you mean messing up my plan? Some of you have been praying for me. I want you to come forward. Come on. You know who you are. I want to see who you are. You've been praying for me. You've been praying for the church. You've been praying that God would do something special. See, there comes a time. There comes a time when that which is in secret gets revealed publicly. Hear me. Elijah. after having defeated the prophets of Baal, having stood up to an entire nation, he gets scared. He runs away. And he pleads with God, not just once, not twice, more than that. He says, God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's serving you. <laughs> and here's the divine response. God said, no, you're not. I have 7,000 reserved who have never bowed their knee to Baal, never confessed the idols of their day. And God revealed to that prophet that he was not alone. And I wanna tell someone today, you are not alone. And I knew that I wasn't alone, but I didn't know how many. I didn't know how many. <laughs> and I thank you, but God has honored your prayers. We are going to see a manifestation of the power of God. I declare that we are going to see in our day, in our land, a manifestation of the power and the presence of Almighty God.
do it, Lord.